0: It's super easy. Just go to current.com slash OK, o k a y and download the app. That's current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined, as always, by Deirdre Brosa. She is CNBC's Tech Check host. Deirdre, welcome back.
1: Hello. I'm glad to be here. Kicking off earnings season soon enough.
0: Oh, man. I I mean, listen, you are going to be in heavy, heavy demand. I think (laughs) I'm going to be seeing you every night on CNBC's Fast Money and throughout the day uh, reporting on all the tech earnings. This is what I get actually most excited about last week was like bank earnings. How boring, right? Um, So this is going to be- the good stuff. This is gonna be Low the good. Growth, stuff.
1: Profitability.
0: <laughs> oh man, I know. And so uh listen, we have a lot to cover today. There's a there's a bunch of stuff in the private markets and the in the public markets. I also had a great conversation with my friend Joe Marchese. he's the build partner over at Human Ventures, and also my other friend Packy McCormick, who is the managing partner um, at Not Boring. We had this wide-ranging conversation on how they're thinking of AI and these large language models and how they're also kind of like the stuff that they're seeing as, um, you know, investors, but they're also thinking about it a little bit from a build standpoint. So, um, stick around for that. Um, but D let's, let's hit this one story. I thought this was kind of interesting in the information. It was talking about Instacart. This is a company that you've reported on for years. Um, and it was, what I found was interesting is like they were quoting some, um, secondary market price action okay or at least interest in instacart shares they were talking about how there's been very little interest on the buy side um i think it was last valued maybe in 2021 at 39 billion dollars i think there are some private market transactions or secondary market transactions that have happened maybe around 10 billion or so but they're really talking about the, the supply demand dynamic where I think they quoted um, maybe one broker where 88% of the interest was on the buy side or something like that. Talk to me a little bit. Is this a sea change for you? Some of the things that you're hearing in a way, because this could be um, you know the lag effect that you and I have talked a, a lot about when you look at a NASDAQ that's up 20% and you look at a lot of the hardest hit stocks from their highs in 2021 are up you know, 80%, 90% some of them. So to me, is that what the bargain hunting is coming from, this just sort of lag effect in the private markets?
1: Instacart is such an interesting case because it's one of the oldest unicorns around. I mean, it should have gone public in the era of DoorDash and Airbnb. It missed that window. It had a CEO transition. The founder stepped back. So maybe this is an indication that we could be getting closer to that IPO. Don't hold your breath because we've been here before. They've been on the precipice for it to not happen. Um, But- I'm looking forward to this one because I have a feeling it's going to be a different business model than the likes of some of the other gig economy companies like Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, because it's always had this lucrative advertising business. I don't know how lucrative, but you imagine the margins are better than 3P delivery. So it'll be interesting. The idea that maybe it's fetching more in the secondary market, as you said, Dan, that makes a lot of sense because we've seen stocks run back up in the public space over the last few months. Instacart, remember, has been really proactive in terms of valuing itself, that internal valuation called a 409A, brought it down when the market was coming down and is bringing it back up. So this makes sense. And if the markets remain on track, if they don't become too volatile once again, the big if is we head into earnings season, maybe the next few months is right for this company to finally go public.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I just, you know, listen, you know, 40 billion to 10 billion. When you, when you think about those sorts of numbers, we saw plenty of, of brand named, uh, you know, publicly traded companies that had that sort of discount at their lows late last year. So if you still think the stock in, in the, in the public or the private market is trading anywhere near that last trade, you're going to get in there and you're going to try to find a valuation that you think is going to look very cheap by the time they start filing IPO papers.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And with things, we don't know how much it's worth. If you think that Uber can be a $60, $80 billion company, and we know how much money it's losing, I mean, Instacart is reportedly actually profitable, going back to the advertising, the enterprise business that it has. So uh, maybe it can't fetch that much again, but I think that's a big question, right? For a lot of the tech companies we talk about, Dan, can yeah. they ever get back to those peak valuations? And yeah. we can't, we don't know for Instacart until we see those actual financials. Well,
0: I, I think for some people who recall, who are as old as me, that the NASDAQ took 14 years to get back to its bubble highs from 2000. And so obviously there's, uh, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of stocks that never made it to the, the NASDAQ new highs in 2014 um, or 2015. Uh, but here's... Here's one. This is a company that we're still talk about a lot. And it was around for the, the the internet bubble of the turn of the century. This is Netflix. And this is interesting. We are recording this um, Tuesday into the close. By the time you're listening to this, Netflix will have already recorded um, reported their Q1 earnings. But here's a story that just crosses my email box from the Wall Street uh, Journal, Debo. You're going to love this. Netflix winds down DVD rental business. So in September, they're going to ship out their last red envelope. And and really, it's a pretty amazing bookend, because I think you wanted to talk about you were tuning in for some like live reunion on Netflix from one of your favorite reality <laughs> shows. And you got you got the Heisman on that. What happened with this whole thing?
1: Okay. I'll admit it. I did watch Love is Blind. I love it. I can't hide it. I was waiting. I I don't know why I needed this. I mean, I did not need a live reunion special at all. I don't think anyone needed it. Nobody asked for it. This is not live sports, but Netflix decided to do it maybe as an experiment to show that they can go into live programming. Maybe that's a predecessor for something else it wants to do in live TV. I mean, it's the last holdout, right? In terms of grabbing onto live sports like apple and amazon and google are all doing but it was such a spectacular disaster <laughs> for me yes because i was i i don't know if i'd say eagerly but okay fine i was anticipating it but this was supposed to be the experiment it was only about five weeks ago that it successfully rolled out a live event with chris rock it couldn't do it the second time in a row and it just it's it's maybe created some anxiety over the idea of, can Netflix do it? How technologically advanced is it? I mean, it was the first streaming platform, the getting rid of the red envelopes, which by the way, the most surprising thing about that was that they were still shipping the red envelopes. But aside from that, is the technology there? Can Netflix be a leader in the next era of streaming, which we're starting to figure out what that is right now. And it feels like that's going to involve some kind of live element.
0: Yeah, you know, what's interesting about that is like uh, when you think about all these companies just mentioned, all the big platform companies have been bidding for the sports rights, and we know how important that is, and we saw all the unbundling. So all um, the big networks, right, they, they started their streamers, they rolled them out, they were independent. Now we're starting to see a rebundling of them, you know, the, the Max and the, the Discovery sort of deal. So it's going to be interesting as we see like consolidation again, but really more on the streaming, there'll be different rights, right, like for a lot of live programming, and I think your point about Netflix trying to compete let's say with an Amazon or an Apple in live sports as opposed to broadcasting a live maybe ticketed um sort of situation with like a, a Chris Rock you know at the Apollo or something like that that seems to be very much in their wheelhouse and you know what like you have been covering Tech for a long time and you know me as just kind of a market participant and looking at these kind of um you know some of these uh attempts and the failures everything like that you know they're really short-lived right like People are not going to remember this in a couple of weeks, like when they have one really successful launch. Right. And then they have another then it's all it's all behind them.
1: You know, you're so right, because I remember when Amazon did its first Thursday night football, everyone complained about it. It was glitchy, it lagged and no one's talking about that anymore. I mean, it's still interesting when my husband is trying to figure out where to watch Thursday night football, and I tell him it's Amazon, and that still kind of blows his mind. But you're right. I mean, he just goes there and he gets it, and you don't notice any issues. So I think you're right. And I think tonight, where Amazon, I I mean, sorry, where Netflix is going to set itself apart, which it has continued to do, is that profitability element, right? When all of its rivals are still losing so much money. Um, the fact that it's expected to bring in, what, more than a billion dollars in net income, that really is, you know, saying something. Um, has said something over the last year, but it's going to face more competition as some of these other streaming flat platforms get that profitability piece more in place. Yeah, that's right.
0: And, and this is one that, like, I find kind of interesting. At some point, we're going to see a lot of m I think when people feel like the NASDAQ bottom, the economy is, is probably on better footing. It you know, rarely happens at the bottom where you see, like, large strategic sort of MA. But I always thought like Netflix would do very well by like, like, buying a Spotify, for instance, you know, they have, you know, like 10 percentage points higher in gross margins. And think about how you could just streamline a lot of costs. And to your point about profitability, where, you know, Netflix is doing, you know, over a billion, you know, Spotify is still losing, you know what I mean, on a gap basis here. And so I wonder if we're going to start seeing deals like that, which would make a whole heck of a lot of sense, where you have this video streaming platform, you have this audio streaming platform. They're both best of breed. They both want to do more engaged sort of activity you know, Spotify obviously pushed very hard into podcasting and they wanted to do um, a lot of live podcasting, video podcasting, that sort of stuff. That might be just a really good combination that would make a whole heck of a lot of sense um, to me before Netflix goes on a, another spending binge. You know, we know what they did over the last 15 years with original content, which really weighed on profitability. Now they have that scale. I think it would almost make sense to do something that's kind of more in their wheelhouse.
1: That's interesting. Instead of spending on content, which I think investors are getting a little bit sick of because there's so much that is unwatchable, don't include Love is Blind in that, <laughs> maybe they spend to acquire something that they can put into their portfolio. And I mean, that's interesting because Netflix, I don't think, would have the same kind of regulatory pressures stopping a deal like that versus an Amazon or an Apple or Google that might want that property too, a, a Spotify.
0: Yeah, I, I think in some ways you would probably, if you're regulators, you'd almost regulate it. It's not one of those situations that I think would, you know, um, I, I it, you know, listen. It, it really is about consumer protection and pricing power, that sort of thing. And I think that you know you'd much rather see a stronger Spotify and net combination to kind of combat an Amazon that uses the profitability that you and I talked about last week from AWS to finance all these other money-losing businesses, right? It makes them very hard to compete with, if you think about that. And then you think of an Apple with a $2 installed base of iOS devices. They can do whatever the heck they want, whenever they want.
1: The other question, though, is would investors, I mean, Netflix is kind of the... The advantage it has over its rivals is that profitability. If it acquires something that is losing money to investors, not like that, because in this market environment, I think still investors want to see that profitability over perhaps revenue growth. Um, And this earnings season, revenue growth isn't going to be anything to write home about.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, listen, I think that, it, you know, at some point though, like the Netflix, especially as Reed Hastings takes a step back here and they kind of change some of their, their kind of content strategy. I think that to your point, um, a lot of users um, are feeling a bit, you know, overwhelmed by the level of content. Here's a good example. You know, uh, my wife and I down to watch Hustle. And I, I was watching it for the second time. That was the Adam Sandler movie. Amazing movie, okay? Like, you know, and then all of a sudden, I get, I start getting shown an Adam Sandler, like, murder mystery thing. And we just let it roll. And we watched it. It was horrible, right? <laughs> so you have, like, two Come on, opposing... you can't, don't
1: say that about Adam Sandler and Jennifer Aniston.
0: Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? You have these two opposing experiences where, you know, it very much felt like, you know, um, a Netflix movie on both sides, right? Like, one amazing piece of content but for every amazing piece of content there's probably five really bad ones and so for me if they want more of my attention then, then one app that you know I'm spending time on music on Spotify I'm spending time on podcasts there but I'm also doing a lot of video and then there could be you know a lot of engagement that is um kind of you know just in between those content and users and all that sort of stuff so to me I would find it very interesting but I'm not a shareholder um, in either of them all right here's one I saw you on CNBC earlier on Tech reporting on a double upgrade of nvidia this is the last holdout this this guy over at hsbc had a sell rating and his previous target on the stock was 175 the stock's trading at 275 as we speak now he's got the highest price target on the street of 355 and i think it's important to remember this is what a 650 billion dollar market cap company this is very likely to be the next company in the trillion dollar club, as far as market cap concerns. It's actually 682 um, and 82, and it's making a new 52 uh, week high today. Thoughts on that? Because I thought you had a good hit on CNBC.
1: I mean, a double upgrade. What what an upgrade. We haven't seen one of those in a while, where he was the only sell rating on the street, frankly, at HSBC. Um, he said that he was shocked by Nvidia's pricing power for AI chips. Um, which let's just say the market has not been shocked. This has been well telegraphed. This is a stock that's up 90% year to date, 140% since it's October low. And that's really been the whole story. So he's been kind of late to the game, but there's another headline this morning involving AI chips that I thought was actually even more interesting. And that came from the information. And it was a report that Microsoft is working on its own in-house AI chips, codenamed Athena. And to me, this feels like, you know, a risk to that incredible bull story to NVIDIA. Yes, it dominates the market. And it's really the only game in town when it comes to those um, advanced AI chips that you need to process the huge amount of huge amounts of data that these large language models are being used for. Um, It's not just Microsoft working on this. It's Alphabet, Google. It's it's meta. It's Apple. These companies know that AI is the next big platform shift. It's happening in front of their in front of their eyes, in front of our eyes. So they're working on these chips. And they're not there yet. I think that everyone may agree with that. But the fact that they're working on it presents maybe a threat to that bull case um, of NVIDIA in addition to that valuation. Yeah, and I, I, I guess There's the point,
0: I, I think that's like a really... You've seen this time and time again, right? You saw it with Apple as they were just trying to vertically integrate as they were just owning the high-end smartphone market, right? And they wanted to dictate the sort of capabilities that were in a lot of the chips and that sort of thing. And every time you'd hear those stories or see those stories, you'd see Qualcomm sell off or you'd see you know Samsung take a hit overnight in Korea, that sort of thing or whatever. But they were always like, like way away, right? It takes a long time to develop this stuff. And I don't think anyone um, who's been following tech for the last 25 years thinks that Microsoft has any real core competency when it comes to doing that, right? <laughs>
1: Well, okay. let me let me provide the opposite case, though. The Apple M1 chips have just been a real sea change. I mean, that's been for their laptop line, their their MacBooks and so on. But that that really has hurt Intel and displaced them in that ecosystem. So it's almost like I don't know that anyone thought that was possible. We woke up one morning and Apple had done it and that has changed their proposition, their supply chain, the chip space over the last few years. So it may still remain very far out, and you're right, maybe no one thinks that Microsoft is gonna be able to create something that can really genuinely compete with what NVIDIA spends its entire lifetime on. Um, But it's not one to be overlooked. And I think that what Apple has done with the M1 or the M series of Silicon is is maybe a warning for that. And maybe Microsoft doesn't do it, but maybe Google does.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right, you were reporting on this yesterday. This was Monday. There was a story. I think it was the New York Times. They were talking. About how um, Samsung, for their uh, smartphones, were considering um, bouncing Google's search in 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 uh, place of of Bing. So, what was your like reporting? What was some of your thoughts on this? Because again, this is not the sort of thing that can just turn on overnight. When you think of you know Samsung um, market share, um, it's not meaningful here um, in the U.S. And, and it almost feels like this would be more of a, a psychological hit. I don't know if anybody out there uh, in the mobile space that has meaningful market share wants to attach their wagons to Microsoft for a whole host of reasons. Because at some point, all of these other players are going to catch up, right, to to, to, to the open AI and whatever they think advantage um, that Bing has right now with their partnership. Um, So to me, it just seems like a catchy headline. And there's definitely been, as you and I've been talking about for months, some massive market cap shifts, right? Like Google was down... Mm -hmm. Three and a half percent on that headline. I mean, when you think about that, that's like fifty billion dollars or or maybe more in, in market cap or so. So investors are still, I guess to your the the word that you use, maybe you know, there's still a little bit of panic around all these headlines.
1: There is. And is that overblown or not? I mean, yeah, three and a half percent down on that one headline reminds me of a few months ago when Google botched its BARD um. It, what do you call it? It's bar debut. Yeah, the launch. And they had all these issues and they had some factual inaccuracies in it. And I think that week, Google was down something like 8% um, and Microsoft was up. And you thought, what is happening here? We look at that a few months on, and actually, both those stocks are just neck and neck year to date. Hasn't really mattered. And that's because, to your point, Dan, um, Google has been working on this for a very, very long time. They are still thought of as the leaders in artificial intelligence. You see Sander Pichai give an interview on 60 Minutes, and he gives the impression that they're moving cautiously and responsibly. They have the power, the intelligence, the processing to do all the same things that OpenAI, ChatGPT, Microsoft, Bing are doing, but they're taking a more careful stance. But at the same time, there's cracks now. Can you imagine, Dan? I mean, there's cracks in the search business, which has just been so unassailable for so many years and been you know, the best business model in the history of business models. And now there's cracks showing, and I think that's what that Samsung story did, which is, in that way, I don't think that it was necessarily overblown because Samsung, while the revenue that Google search brings in or Google pays, whatever it is to Samsung, the $3 billion that was cited in that New York Times, that's a small amount, relatively small amount, but Samsung's phones run on the Android system. So it's a pretty big deal that they were even considering this. And again, it's just the fir- maybe the first crack. There's a reason that Google spends so much money, as much as $20 billion to Apple to keep that coveted spot. So are we starting to see the beginnings of this empire cracking, maybe declining in the longer run?
0: Well, you know, I mean, listen, the the clearest example of that is that in 2015, you know, Google had nearly 79% gross margins. This year, they're expected to have 59% gross margins. And so, when you think of the premium valuation that this stock, traded at for a long time that was growing at you know 20 percent a year both earnings and sales with you know nearly 80 percent gross margins it was trading well above a market multiple and now when you think about it it's trading at about 20 times this year 17's next and you know i always say this this is kind of more um you know uh you know fast money sort of take here is like listen when you're looking at that out year and people say well it's cheap you know you know, Meta was in the same situation in 2021. People were looking at the out year saying how cheap it was, and they didn't see the ground moving below their feet for all intents and purposes. And so that's the what I would be really focused on as it relates to Google. And if you're telling me that if all of a sudden now the cracks in the armor are becoming very clear, then this is where you really want to have your antennas up. You don't want to be you know, sleeping, you know, like, like whistling past the graveyard here, assuming that they're, they're going to be able to maintain share or take back some share and then improve their margins.
1: Right. And behind that whole idea is that it's not going to end with a bang, but with a whimper, right? And all of these little cracks along the way are going to erode that dominance that Google has held at the same time. Google, I think, is pouring so much money, so much investment, and so much of its focus into cloud, because maybe that's where the margins are going to come from in the future. Um, And it's been reducing, you know, its cash burn or its losses in that segment. So um, it'll be one of it is one of the three big hyperscalers. Maybe that's where the growth will come from and potential future profitability.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. So so crossing the tape right here is is that Fox is settling with um, Dominion. Um, you know, so Dominion was the maker of these kind of voting machines and they were suing Fox for um pushing, you know, what they said was false narratives and for defamation. They're suing him for $1.6 billion. I'm just curious, as a journalist, not opining on the settlement or the case or anything like that. What was your thought? Um, you know, you're somebody you spend a lot of time on air. You you do you 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 cross your T's, you, you dot your I's um, you know, you go on air and you report on stuff. And every once in a while, I'm sure you get things wrong and you correct it and all that sort of stuff. What was your thought? I mean, because this is really a first amendment sort of situation. If, if let's say Fox had lost this case and again, not opining on the case itself, did you have any thoughts about this or like some of your colleagues at at CNBC or other reporters that you have, like, was this like an important event for, for, for you all?
1: As a journalist, yes. I don't think we covered it to the same extent that other networks might have. I thought um, Jim Cramer had some good comments this morning. He kind of came out hard. He said that he's been in the business for, you know, decades, and he's never seen such egregious sort of <laughs> playing fast and loose with the facts. So it, it it's a big moment, I think, for the media industry, certainly. And you do have to wonder about the processes that were in place to lead yeah. to something like this happening.
0: Yeah, and I I guess the point that that I'm trying to kind of get at is is like, okay, so let's say Fox had had won the suit, right? And then maybe they just felt emboldened to continue to do what they were doing or, or, uh, you know, whether you agree with the politics of it or not, let's say Dominion had won. And, like, does that put almost every journalist on their uh, their heels a little bit and, and really, you know, being very, very guarded? And I think the main story here is that, you know, Fox in the evening is not news, right? But it, but it's, it is it, but it is command a huge audience. And so if you're pushing, pushing misinformation, you know, it's not as, as uh, you're doing it as news. But um, I don't know. I, I find it very interesting. I was kind of hoping to see what, um, you know, a jury might have come up with in this yeah, case. The facts. Because a lot of us have already seen a lot of the facts. We already saw what a lot of the Fox hosts were saying, you know, behind the scenes. And so I don't know. I, I find it kind of interesting. I'm kind of bummed that the, the thing uh, settled.
1: Yeah. In this era though, it's more important than ever. And I agree with you. I wish that we could have seen this sort of go all the way through and a jury decide on this, but we're in such, the news industry is in such a difficult position. There's so much misinformation out there. We're going to be heading into another election that this stuff is so crucial. And yes, mistakes are going to be made, but it's really important to correct them as soon as you know and sort of face the music. And so the fact that this had to wind through the legal system um, is so interesting. And and it, you know will have implications for the media industry for years to come.
0: Yeah. No I'm looking doubt. at the headlines
1: I- now myself. <laughs>
0: All right, we can't we can't get out of here until we hit Tesla here. Um, so I, I thought uh, Tesla reports tomorrow after the close, and and it's interesting. You know, the stock is is um, up a lot. Uh, it was uh, you know uh, traded as low as a hundred dollars this year, and it closed today um, at one hundred and eighty four. It's down about fifteen percent from its recent highs over the last couple of months. And the last couple of months, I think it was interesting. They had that AI day and I think a lot of investors were kind of excited about it, but then nothing really came out of it. The stock sold off and then into quarter end, the stock ripped um, for excitement about um, delivery numbers, which kind of came in a little bit below consensus. And so when you think about all those price cuts that have gone on over the last few months, I mean, people are kind of worried about the margins here and margins are expected to be down a few percentage points from last year. I think it was 25 and a half percent or so expected to be 22 some saying with all of these price cuts and they just instituted another one in the last week that that's going to be really hard um, to kind of achieve 22 percent. and the other thing is just i thought this kind of interesting article you know a day before the report in the wall street journal tesla faces a tougher road um, ahead in china they're talking about all the competition they're talking about losing market share they're talking about some of the local manufacturers um, that are not participating in these price wars so they want to kind of maintain um their margins or so thoughts on this because to me listen i think anyone who listens to this podcast you know um what i think about tesla i've been short tesla Um, i'm still short tesla i'll be short into their number um i think that they're going to be hard pressed to kind of hit a 20 percent gross margin number given all the competition and all the the downward pressure on margins but the last point is is like None of the current estimates assume that the global economy or the US economy is going to be weak and maybe they don't find this to be particularly, um, you know, a good environment to sell um, EVs. The last thing, and I know you spent a lot of time in Asia and reporting um, on co- US companies doing business there, but also local companies doing business there, you know, the geopolitical dust up that could occur or is occurring with US and China. But, but what might happen with Taiwan, I would see US consumers getting pretty nationalistic, you know, in that scenario. So I actually think that the Tesla story in China could have peaked and they just, you know, saw their market share go from 14 to 10%.
1: I think that China is really the story here. When we talk about competition in North America, I just I don't buy it. I don't think it's there. I think it's still a long way off. And if you're going to buy an EV, even in a softer economic backdrop, you're going to go for a Tesla and, you know, they're adjusting prices so that they continue to maintain that market share, that dominance. But China is such an interesting case because it, like we've talked about this before, Dan, that it's not Tesla versus Rivian versus Lucid here. They they barely register. But when you're talking about a NIO and a BYD, those guys are already giants there. They're already selling to the Chinese public. And Tesla, I think, is going to have a harder road going forward. Um, I don't know what it means. I, I don't know what, the cons- what consumers, if they typically... They've wanted to own something Western built or Western headquartered. And that's if you're a strong brand that will go through. But it feels like we're seeing a sea change in China, whereas the Chinese EVs you're right, it's almost nationalistic there as well. Maybe you do want to buy a Chinese made Chinese manufactured electric vehicle.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing this article mentioned is that, um, Elon Musk and and Tesla were not at this big EV event that's in Shanghai. Um, and, and a couple of years ago, I guess somebody was protesting, jumped up on a car and it got a lot of attention, um, in China. And I think that's um, you know, pretty interesting. The other thing they mentioned is that all these other competitors and there's dozens of them, they have new products coming out all the time. And, and and so Tesla has not refreshed any of their cars since they launched in China. They certainly haven't. The Model S looks like the same as it did in 2011, 12. Here, it's a little slicker here and there. So that'll be an interesting one to watch. Um all right. oh, here, I got this one. Um, so so last one, and this is on Tesla. So um, I guess there's some disclosure, the regulators you have to um, you know, uh you put data in about fatal crashes using um, you know, automated full self driving, that sort of thing. And uh, here's a question for you, because there was another um, crash, it was a Model S, and um and I guess well, I'm just trying to get the number here. I guess there's been sixty six of um, deaths um in, in uh Tesla, uh full self driving. We know it's not really full self driving, um, and that's since 2021. My question to you is this, is there any regulation? I know you, uh, you cover the, the Ubers and the lifts very closely here. I find myself often getting into Tesla's in New York city, um, you know, in, in Uber, uh, or Lyft. And is there any, do, do either one of those companies have any, any rules about not other drivers, not using FSD in, in the, uh, I don't know if you know that or not. That's I don't know. Such a
1: good question. Sure. I I don't know to my knowledge, no, but I wonder, especially it would be a very sensitive point for Uber because remember, this was a few few years ago, but it was developing its own autonomous driving fleet of vehicles. And there was that really tragic accident where there was someone at the wheel, but it was in self-driving mode and it it killed a pedestrian. So so I don't know. It's a good question. I'll ask next time. Right. I get,
0: get, to get Dara on the blower. Here. Get Dara I on the hear, phone. I, I, I want to hear what he's got to say. All right, <laughs> Debo. We covered a lot of ground here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time in your busy day. So thanks. I'm sure. I think I'm going to see you probably a little bit on the, on the Fast Money. I'm heading out here right now. Yeah. Perfect.
1: Right. And I'll see you all in real life next week. All, all right. Thanks
0: so much. You guys stick around for my conversation with Joe Marchese of Human Ventures and Packy McCormick of Not Boring Capital. Cross River Bank member FDIC. Welcome to OK Computer. Interestingly enough, okay, so so this is meant to be an audio format here, but look at all these cameras that we have around here. So all of a sudden it's become like a video. Oh, Joe, don't do that. (laughs) We're trying to keep people people on the the (laughs) Rift YouTube channel here. Video is moving pictures, right? Yeah, it is that. Um, I am Dan Nathan. (laughs) This is Packy McCormick. Joe Marchese, for the first year, I kind of mispronounced your name as you would come on the podcast. Very proud of you. So, Human Ventures, you are the, the build partner over there. Our listeners know you, and our listeners. There's obviously no Packing McCormick, not boring. Capital, um, not boring newsletter, which is approaching two hundred thousand subs, which is absolutely amazing. I first, I, I think I first heard you on a podcast. I think it was with Josh Brown and Michael Batnick, and yeah. I think at the time you probably had like single digit thousands, like subscribers, probably at least a couple of years ago. Does that sound r- that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. And um, I just like as soon as I started reading it, you were doing a lot of Web three stuff, and it was really brilliant. Because to me, as a normie, is that what we call him, Joe? You had other names for him back okay. then. Actually, <laughs> uh, you definitely did. Um, just the way you broke down. A lot of the concepts concepts I thought was really fascinating. So that was great. Um, And Joe, um, you're like a bit of a newsletter writer now. I just saw uh, human.ai. This is a a post that you wrote um, over the last week or so. And I thought it was really interesting. I actually wanted to get the two of you guys together because, you know, Packy, you wrote this post, I think it was March 27th Open AI's Chat GPT plugins and the emergence of an apex aggregator, and I read it, and I actually quoted it on a pod, and then, Joe, you wrote last week, uh, human.ai, how to think about the impact of artificial intelligence on brands, commerce, and culture, and both of them had a really hard attention bent to them, okay? (laughs) So I wanted to get you guys together here, and we're here. Great. Here we are. Before we jump into the AI stuff, we're definitely going to do a little Elon at the end of it because (laughs) you and I have not potted a while. You and I have potted recently. Elon kind of comes up a little bit on our podcast. It seems to with you. Jeez, I don't. I don't. I'm not looking forward to telling you that you were right, but um. oh, see that you see what? No, but I think you and I had one last year. We were talking about. Listen, one of the things about him in general is I think that a lot of people and you are optimistic, and you tend to be very optimistic about tech and about trends in tech and everything like that. And I'm just like, I've seen this guy before. Okay, like that's my only bit. I've seen him in really bad TV shows. I've seen him in bad movies about markets and selling shit or whatever. It's no different this time with this guy. I know that the difference is, is that some of the Companies that he's running—I don't mean started—some of the companies he's running, um, you know, are doing kind of cool stuff. He just bought one that he's running into the ground, so we're going to get. Into so that you just that. couldn't help yeah. yourself. So no. we're going to start there. Yeah, no, no, we're not going to start. Moving there. on. Yeah, should, yeah. Yeah. I should hold off. But, but, but you know, you know, it's funny, Joe, and like you um, are somebody when you actually put pen to paper and you start writing something, you've given a lot of thought. You know what I mean? And I'm not, i don't mean to imply that you don't either. I am just—I <laughs> am just a, a like a, a walking, talking hot take yeah. machine, whether it be podcast, TV, this, there, whatever. Um, you spend a lot of time. I'm thinking about this and you wanted to be thoughtful because over the last few months, you know, this chat came out late last year. Um, A lot of people had lots of takes on it. There was a lot of ink spilled on it, but you waited a few months. What what, what was like, what were you trying to work up to (laughs) um, and, you know, to your piece last week? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: so first, I'll take exception with that. I'm not a writer or, or a newsletter writer because it took me weeks and weeks and weeks yeah. to write this one piece that is about half the length of one of Packy's, and and the, I've read the, half with, the
3: length with, is a good sign with, yeah. with
2: with like <laughs> half of the references. Like, I had some very good friends in writing the first my first pass through. So David Gellis uh, from The Times and well, Naema well, from uh, Kara Swish Kara Swish's partner. Help me edit it, and after the first few edits, I was like, wait, I don't wanna rewrite that much. How is that, no no way. They're like, well, you don't just stream of conch, so no, not on the writing. But the reason I-, I took the time was because I had been for the last decade on this bent, which I thought was bizarre that I had to like carry this flag, which is that Attention was the only thing that mattered in advertising because you could have all the data in the world, but without someone's attention, you can't convince them of something. But you could have zero data, but with their attention, you could still tell them a story even if you didn't know who they were. So attention was was primary and data was secondary, but data had taken all the oxygen out of the room. So for a better part of a decade, AI was just used to get people's attention and turn it into ad dollars. Show the next video, recommended products, uh, like um, uh, advertising dynamic ad creative search results. And for the first time in my time in tech, AI was going to be used to potentially disrupt the entire basis of the business model Mm -hmm. of the internet. Which was advertising. Mm -hmm. And so
0: that was just, it was bizarre to me to start watching. For decades, so you, and you post, you write, for decades it had been used as such, but you didn't call it AI in the advertising business, right? Like what what, what would you guys call it?
2: They would call it it machine learning. They would call it programmatic. I mean, they did call it AI, though. I mean, think about it. We all famously know the TikTok algorithm, right? The TikTok algorithm is, is, you know, under trial basically in in the court of public opinion and then pretty soon in the real courts. So we all did call it an algorithm that was deciding what you watch next. So AI to direct our attention to other people's content creation. And now this is the first time it's going to be AI to direct us to AI created content. And that, I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, the, but, the but but so I'm sure Gellis wrote
0: this line, the amount of
2: attention,
3: <laughs> amount of attention <laughs> humans
0: have is finite, but the attention can be turned into uh, is infinite, right? So I you can't about, remember which one of us, of which one of our, well, of one of our two writing that geniuses. That was, that was a great line. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a really good line. But packy yeah. you know, you actually, I think what really got me going about your post, and you had been writing about it, and I know you've been writing about AI for, for you know, not just uh, a hot minute here, um, but you really got excited about the plugins. It really like the nature of the platform aspect of it, right? And so when you think about a lot of the stuff you've been writing about over the last couple of years as it relates to to Web3, it really is about like, you know, different platforms, like, right? Like uh, distributed platforms. Talk to me about what has really gotten you so excited about it.
3: Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of this this walking stereotype of tech guy where I read about Web3, now I read about AI, but it is like- I hope that's not how I frame it. No, no. This is literally the way that I I feel when I think about how other people- probably think about yeah. me, but what I've said kind of the whole time writing about Web3, about AI, and I've been writing about AI for a little while, wrote about scale yeah. a couple of years ago and, and all of that, but it is the, the business model innovation. Like, I love the tech stuff. I love mm-hmm. playing around with all these different tools, mm-hmm. but the business model innovation made possible. And when you look at, I mean, ChatGPT has been fun. Don't see how you turn it necessarily into a business. They had the APIs. They were fine. I remember talking to somebody at OpenAI when Dolly came out, mm-hmm. and they were still unsure exactly how they were going to turn it into a business. And then you see plugins, which let people essentially design apps that literally plug in to ChatGPT, and then you can just type to it, and it'll go do these things for you. At least take you to the site. Then that was the first time that I was like, "Holy shit!" Like this is a complete business model game changer, because for the first time, I mean, we're talking about attention here. They have a hundred million eyeballs, and now it's probably hundreds of millions of eyeballs on ChatGPT developers want to plug their thing into this magical new thing and they can turn that attention now into actions, right? And so like instead of saying on Google, I want a flight and it takes you to five different websites, you say, I want a flight. And it's like, cool, I'll book that flight for you. It doesn't do that right now. They're playing nice with partners. This is always what happens in the beginning of platforms. But it's very clear that over time you'll just type into whether it's ChatGPT or Mm -hmm. whatever else does this business model in the most ruthless way possible? You type it in, it finds you the cheapest flight, can look through a million parameters that it's learned matter to you, mm-hmm. and just book the very best thing for you. And that's incredibly disruptive to a bunch of different internet business models.
2: But that is such an – so that, that example, I used to use this example – Before, you know, before this wave of AI where I would say, I don't want to shock anyone, but William Shatner did not negotiate your hotel room (laughs) in the (laughs) 2000s. The Priceline negotiator was a brand, and it started at the top of funnel. And why did they need to do that? Well, because when I search on Priceline for a hotel room or a flight or a car, and it gets to the bottom and says, okay, we found you a flight for $279. How do I know that's the cheapest? There needs to be trust yeah. at the end. Yeah. I need to say I know so Bitcoin that Bitcoin
0: fixes this. Yes, definitely <laughs> blockchain. We'll yeah. Put it on the
2: blockchain. No, no. But when it gets to the bottom, you have yeah. to decide: Do I trust? Yeah. But this is, and this is what we're dealing with, with with the large language models right now is like, you know, do you trust the results? What were the inputs? How did it decide what to get to at the bottom? But now, if you're gonna take that away, like Priceline, TripAdvisor, mm-hmm. Expedia, these are all places where you type something into search into Google, and they were arbitraging like the largest. The largest fees on the US economy aren't credit card fees. It's advertising fees to reacquire your customers through the platforms over and over again, right? that is the biggest thing that's at risk right now. And that, I mean,
0: that is the basis of the internet economy. So are you thinking of it as a builder? Okay. Like, and Mm -hmm. and again, and I know that like advertising and one of the things in a lot of the companies and a lot of the entrepreneurs that you advise, you actually think about it through the lens of of the business that, you know, you built a Mm -hmm. business, you sold it, you've run a big ad network at a, you know, that sort of thing. Are you thinking of it in that way? Because Paki, I get a sense that you're thinking about it a little bit as, as a VC and and a lot of the companies that you advise and So I'm just Curious, like how are you guys both thinking about this a little bit? I mean, yeah, yes, as a builder.
2: Although I will say, to kind of the point, Packy was making about the plugins, and then but maybe we even skip the plugins, and you're just going to ask all the airlines directly. Why do we yeah. I, finding the investable part of it has mm-hmm. been hard? Totally, the buildable part I found to be very interesting to say what is going to build brands and what's going to change things. You know, we we talk about world of. Um, uh, uh, molecules versus a um, uh, world of bits, yeah, right? Yeah. And so the only thing that will be physically eliminated, real-world experiences, time, like what you do with it. And so I've been looking for things that are businesses that were not venture investable before, but AI is going to improve their business flow fast enough. So like maybe it was a linear growth business before, but it's a real business. And now it can accelerate mm-hmm. and I got a venture like some. So that's interesting to me, mm-hmm. but it's hard. It's not easy to find right now.
3: Yeah, completely <laughs> agree. I think, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not looking from the builder perspective on this. Like, I'm really trying to do the analysis thing and just figure out what's going on out there and what it means for the different types of companies that have done well. Even before this kind of AI boom, I've had this sense that, like, I think it's going to be really hard to build SaaS businesses or software-based businesses now that are as big as the ones built in the last decade just because it's become easier to build software, the API infrastructure is better. There's just a bunch of things that make it easier to do, which means more competition, lower margins, all of less attention to any one of those products, more money spent on advertising. And so seeing this, this was like another just kind of point in the favor of that idea that it's gonna be really hard to build these big independent software-only businesses Mm -hmm. because they can be these plugins. It's amazing for consumers, because I think prices are gonna drop, people are gonna have their preferences matched even better. All sorts of great consumer surplus is going to happen here. But just from an analysis perspective, these businesses that, like, obviously on paper, you're never going to do better than SaaS. Like, 90% Mm -hmm. margins, recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. It's, like, such an obvious thing. But I really think the next decade is going to be tough for building pure standalone software businesses that get that scale.
2: It's like you're going to have to find the leaders. So, so, you know, in the venture, especially when you're super early stage where, where human is and I know where you invest as well. You're investing in the people mm-hmm. and in the space and believe that they're going to adapt because almost I don't think I've ever seen a business plan or a PowerPoint deck that ended up being what the business yeah. was like eight months later, nine months later, because the world's gonna change. And now the world's changing so fast you don't know what it's gonna change on top of. But the one thing I would say is the Bill Gates, the Mark Zuckerbergs, even the Elon Musks, don't mm-hmm. don't be triggered, Dan. Mm-hmm. Like they were the apex. They were the apex um, archetype of the engineer because for the last couple of decades, the thing that was the constraining factor on building tech was engineers. So if that's not the constraining thing going forward, if one 10X engineer is now 100X engineer because of co-pilot and AI, so if that's not the hard thing anymore, what's the hard thing? And part of our bet is what Heather and I think a lot about is it's the humanities. Like, you know, there, you know, there was a whole time when people were like, oh, you know, too bad you got that liberal arts degree, go mm-hmm. learn to code. <laughs> now I'm kind of wondering if it's like, hey, you know, you might wanna learn some things about human insights, you might wanna learn some things about hospitality, you might wanna learn some things about making a physical good in the real world and craftsmanship. You might wanna learn some things about brand building. And so I do think that those become the hard things And we don't really have filters for those type of founders. We have filters for, you know, the single-coder founder who's going to build you everything in their garage. And then how is that going to interact with people is a little
0: different. Yeah, but so so out of the gate, like I think in December, January, there's a couple like – Billion dollar companies minted. You know what I mean? Like the X Open AI or X Alphabet people or whatever. And Andreessen led that round in um, in Character AI. There was Anthropic. There was like a few others. Like, how do those work out? Aren't they born into a grave in a way? Like, if you think about like like h- how do you like go from a billion dollar valuation and and and, and do you guys just admit It's gonna be really hard if you're just investing. We're in not in those rounds. At least I'm not in those rounds. Those, <laughs>
3: those are all. I mean, I'd say the foundation model bets. You look at something like Open AI. If I'm right on the Apex aggregator yeah. thing. And if they do go the maximum capitalist version of yeah. that, that's a trillion dollar company, you know, at, at some point. Yeah. And so if you invest in a hundred things at a billion dollar valuation and one of them becomes a trillion, like, Pretty good. But Don't they
0: just gobble up the, like the engineers in a way that might build that next? You know what I mean? Like billion dollar. You know what I mean? Like for like from from zero to a billion. And like these are being minted at a billion. Uh, I I know that may sound kind of stupid in a way, but like you know guys had to toil or gals and you know they toil away for a while. You know mm-hmm. pre seed seed A and now we're just kind of jumping jumping that whole process a little bit will well they just aqua hire everybody isn't that what the isn't that what the war chest is for i, I mean like th- this
2: is a question like is, is it is it going to look the way like it used to look with platforms yeah. and yeah. the things built on top of platforms yeah. like these these feel a little different like this isn't like aws where okay now you have cloud capabilities so now anybody could build this a lot easier they don't need to have racks and servers yeah. in an it department um it, we don't know what what sustainable businesses can be built on top of it. And by the way, if you ask them, they don't even know. Like, like I'm not even sure Sam Altman will sit here with you and say, this is what it's going to look like in three years, people building on top of us. And if you don't have a lens that far out, like, I mean, I, I will just say, I was said it tongue in cheek, but truthfully, like we are still looking for people who want to do the same, take seed money, build, show you're adaptable to the environment around you. And then as they adapt, put in a real seed round, right? Or an A round and like continue to build its capital as needed on whatever the current platform looks like. And and that being real businesses in the real world and brands that people will trust and like what are what are goods that are um, not correlated to what's going on in the environment in tech? Like healthcare, like you're gonna spend as much money as you can on healthcare. So I think you, in your post was an excellent like point, which is there are so many things that have hidden demand. Yeah that people will just take more of if it gets more efficient. So you use the traffic example on, on the plus side, you can say healthcare. It's like I'll take as much healthcare as I can get if it keeps getting more efficient, yeah. right? And so let's invest in people who are making healthcare better for people to use, and AI will make it better, but they have to have a real business. It's not just a healthcare AI business, and I think yeah. that's the difference.
3: Totally, and I think even on your foundation model point, like there might be some differentiation across a bunch of these where there is – a healthcare-focused foundation model. Or, you know, Bloomberg did their Bloomberg GBT that is a finance-focused foundation model. And so there's probably a bunch of room. It could also be erased to zero. It's not actually, like, scaling doesn't actually make them very much better, and then you all get to the same spot, and there's a bunch of open-source models coming out, and so maybe all those billions are worth zero, but I think that's absolutely right, that there's going to be a ton of demand for people building on top, things that add actual value, create products in healthcare, help design... You know, like there's all these things that are tangible businesses that are now maybe a little bit more possible that are going to be building on top of these. And I think the opportunity set is just so large that I think what's happening is you're just playing seed on some of these, mm-hmm. just at like a, a two orders of magnitude level higher, because the outcome could potentially for some of these, if, if any of them do win, be two orders of magnitude. Higher some. it's funny right?
0: though you just said like it's going to be a trillion dollar company and until a few years ago when apple crossed that mark and then we had obviously amazon and alphabet and microsoft uh, you know do it in short order and it seemed like nvidia was going there and tesla was above a trillion dollar mark those just seem like numbers that are just crazy and today there's a headline out and it's not even a confirmed headline is that you know samsung is considering dropping google search yeah. for bing search because so that, of these yeah. built-in capabilities and you know and immediately alphabet stock was down four percent and again we started talking about all this stuff because of the chat and the bard rollout. you remember a couple months ago and the the there were 100 billion dollar market cap moves that were happening yeah. here and to me those seem kind of crazy because even if Samsung was going to drop you know um, uh, you know alphabet, they would absolutely absolutely have a leg in the door there. It's about their market share on, on handsets and all that sort of stuff. but it might not even happen for six, nine months, twelve you know a year or something like that. and people are shooting first asking questions later. That also seems to be what's happening in the private markets right now. so I'm just wondering from where you guys are in early stage I mean you guys are writing, you're talking here about this mm-hmm. stuff. Do you see opportunities? Are there going to be reasonable opportunities? Are you investing, not you individually, or people just investing into like just a bubble right out of the gate?
2: I mean, I, I think there is. I think that we aren't looking for things that lead with it. Like we keep saying, like, like, so we're focused super early stage, mostly New York City, although like some investment in Miami and LA. Um, this idea is there is a lot more talent out there right now from people who said, okay, you know, maybe big tech isn't where I, I'm going to be comfortable for the next five years, so I'm willing to take a risk right now. Um, there are some people who just, like, their divisions weren't what the big tech was focusing on anymore, but they're incredibly talented people. Office space is cheaper in New York City. Right? I mean, I feel like it's like a, it's like um, a, a amazing kind of formula right now for starting things up And thinking, you know, when you're super early stage, you're on a five to seven year horizon. I don't even know what the world's going to look like in five to seven years. So all we're looking for is builders who are excited to learn what the world's going to look like in five to seven years. And they're leading with a real world problem. They're leading with how do restaurants get their deliveries like on a Tuesday and and more efficiently like pay their bills. And maybe there's an AI application to that and they're open to that. How are people going to gather to watch movies? But, you know, maybe there's there's something on the marketing and invite – you know, out of home advertising, which I sit on a public company board of, but like watching that—that's a physical space. It can only get smarter in what it's doing, but it's still limited physical space. So I think that there's there's lots of areas that are still interesting. I just I think you can't lead with you can't lead with the technology and then look for the solution, right? Like you, you have to lead with like what is this solving, and now can the technology do do something to better it? By the way, if not, do the hard thing. Yeah, I think there's a total bifurcation as well. Like I do think it makes sense to seed
3: some of the very best people out there. Like Mm -hmm. the the amount of really good AI researchers is still one of these really, really, really scarce resources. So it makes sense that a lot of them are raising at a lot of, at at higher valuations. And then I think it makes sense to write a lot of small checks into people experimenting early on. And that can be tech-led and not problem-led and like, Throw 100K at somebody out there just like tinkering around yeah. and seeing what they what they come up with. Who knows at all if it becomes a viable business or something that has moats or whatever. But I do think this like fun experimentation process that we're in right now, funded, not funded, the auto GPTs are these open source projects that people did on the side of their desks. These agents that can like kind of talk to themselves are things that didn't take a lot of venture funding. Who knows if they become big businesses? But I don't know. I, I like these bubbly phases because I think no matter what happens out of these I, I haven't done an a investment out of out of fund 3 yet because I do think it's really hard and that's why I'm writing and not investing as much. I'm trying to figure out what's going on here, but I do think this period where there's a lot of attention there's just going to be such cool shit built that wouldn't have been otherwise if there weren't all this this frenzy.
0: Packy, do you think there's some lessons? And again, I, I think it was a summer of 21, and you were doing I thought some like amazing work on not boring. And I remember I think it was the post it was nifty corporates. And It was about yeah. like like you know Visa and Matt. It was about Visa, right? Yeah. Like they, they bought some NFT. Budweiser got and Budweiser, involved. Yeah, yeah. And, and to me, what I thought was amazing about those pieces, you didn't have a strong bent one way or another. This wasn't going to change their like marketing. Like, yeah. but they got a lot of free press. They opened the door. Door to a lot of different, you know, I just thought like, to me, that was really interesting and we started covering some of that stuff on CNBC and we started yeah. talking about it on the pods. What do you think some of the lessons are about some of the big, like, like let's not even, t- we're gonna get to the platform companies, we're gonna get some of the big advertising models and stuff, um, what do you think some of the lessons for corporates are gonna move too quickly into like, you know, bad chatbots, like the, the one that you gave, <laughs> the, 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 the um, it was the wallet, it was the Budweiser wallet where all of a sudden they're getting like tons of dick pics and stuff, yeah. you know what I mean, like, uh, there's gotta be some good lessons as as far as like the way companies are thinking about how to use some of these uh, technologies right now. It's
3: really interesting, it seems like right now, I mean like Bing was the one that took the most arrows, right? They, they came out with this thing, yeah. Sydney, their, yeah. uh, their Bing chat yeah. that was completely unhinged. It yeah. seemed like they were, I mean they took it offline, but yeah. kind of totally fine with it, and I think it probably created some of the hype that leads to Samsung, yeah. maybe replacing Google with it because it got all that attention. I think there's enough of an environment of building right now, and there's enough of the models that people are building on top of, at least our, you know, open AI is spending a lot of time and money mm-hmm. to make sure that it doesn't say completely inappropriate stuff. It feels safe enough that if it says like kind of wrong things then you just say, oh, our thing says kind of wrong things, but like it's pretty helpful. Or as long as you like kind of back it into the right, uh, you set the right expectations of the users and say, mm-hmm. it can do these kinds of things, it can't do these kinds of things. I actually think it's pretty low risk to experiment with because people kind of understand what to expect from these models? And I think you really have to think about who your users are. If your users are, you know, m- my parents are having fun with with this stuff, but like, are they really? You, yeah, your mom, Joe? No, She'll
2: send me stories on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: But like, if, if there are people who are not maybe you know like as interested in cutting edge shacker would be confused by chatbots. Like maybe don't just throw it mm-hmm. in to throw it in. I don't think you know Budweiser or or Visa would have done that uh, either way. Like they were very much yeah. targeting a certain a certain group but i think it's it's this kind of period right now where it's fun to experiment and kind of see what happens as long as you're not like risking the whole company's product on it. Right. And,
0: and going back to trust, Joe, because you had a quote in, in your post and I, I thought it was really interesting and without trust in brands, and I think you kind of alluded to this, there's an ex- existential risk to businesses, governments and and the people uh, that rely on them. So like, let, let, let's talk about that because again, like I think there's been all this call for like regulation and people don't even know what should be regulated. And then there's this group that put out the open letter and I think Musk and uh, Eric Schmidt and there's a whole host of really smart folks that are really, concerned about this i mean so let's talk about trust right now because things seem to be moving a mile a minute right now
2: yeah this is i mean this is the part that i like i am i am very rarely pessimistic when it comes to tech Mm -hmm. i'm I'm, i think we'll we'll solve the things that that it brings the negative externalities that came with social media we solved uh, the to the best of our or we mitigated the best Mm -hmm. some terrible things happened but we did the our best with it still connected people There are things to consider with this that that I think we think are utopian and they're actually dystopian. Meaning if everything's personalized to you, where like then Dan gets one story, Packy gets one story, Joe gets one story. What do the three of us talk about when we're all in the same place? No, I'm like we all talk about the weather because it's the only thing we're guaranteed Mm -hmm. to have all experienced on the way in here today. So shared experiences are how we decide. We agree on things. We already see what's happening with politics where you have one source of news. I have Mm -hmm. another source and you have another source of news. Pretty tough to agree on things. And so let's go even further where we just keep getting more and more micro, more and more niche. Everything's customized to everybody. And like we – it fractures a little bit. Also, brands are not built the way people think brands are built. Like <clears throat> Built Ford Tough, just because I know that message, if they customize a message just to me for Built Ford Tough – but you don't know it. Hmm. Or even worse, I don't know that you know it. Maybe you do know it, but I have no idea if you know it. Well, then I'm not badging myself with a brand anymore. Huh. And so how you decide how brands get built is like you have to have shared experience mm-hmm. of a thing. And I think a lot of the brands who've like hyper-personalized, and that, that's why on Instagram, that's why on Amazon, they reacquire mm-hmm. their customers over and over again, but they aren't building a brand for the long haul. Because until two people know that each other have a shared experience, so that, so think about that for corporate brands, but then think about that for government brands. And I tell every one of our founders to think about that for their brands. Like there's there's a reason why a billboard works. It's because it has a meta piece of information. Everybody else who walks by here sees this. It <laughs> doesn't say that on the billboard. be a cool billboard if it did. Mm-hmm. But that's a meta piece of information. Mm-hmm. So that when it works, it's not working with just your target audience. It's working with your target audience's friends, colleagues, co-commuters, right? And so AI is going to change in things besides out-of-home, although – we get to the minority report future where it's customized to you and out of home, that'd be pretty cool too. Mm-hmm. It's changing what I know other people think of as stories. Like yeah. I can, everyone has their, we already have our own Twitter feed. We already have our own Facebook feed. We already have our own Instagram feed. If our stories start to get so customized that we don't share them, like we can't talk about what happened on a show the other night, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, there is something d- more dystopian than utopian about it.
3: It's a really good point. I even wonder though, if that same kind of, dynamic or that same bounce back that happens with all those other things that we figure out, like when we're in this moment right now where it looks bad, one of the ways that I always think about future tech and whether it's going to be utopian or dystopian is that we kind of have to opt in. So what you're talking about does sound kind of miserable, like I'm watching a show that's only designed to me and I can't, like half of the reason I like Succession is I like seeing the memes and I like talking to other people about it. I'm going to choose to watch stuff that I know other people are watching in terms of stories, like hopefully the story isn't completely different for everybody, but Maybe the way it's delivered to you is personalized in a way that you can grok and understand better, and you can maybe even understand more. Of the I'm, I know I'm being overly hopeful on this, mm-hmm. but like I'm going to choose yeah. things that provide the best overall experience, even if like the particular piece of content isn't as tailored to me as possible, because I want to talk to you about
2: it. Yeah, no, I, that is that is the hope. That's that's what you want to see. Now, obviously, we don't want our news to start going down these yeah. pathways, which is why it's it's that's more disconcerting for companies that are doing advertising. Though it's something to think about with like AI will provide, you know people talk about this this future where ai will do thousands and thousands or millions of creative implementations test them all on facebook whichever one works and that and that and that yes but there's something about storytelling that is the role of us saying like ai is built off of large language models of the history yeah it's not so there's there's something about culture replication versus culture creation that i think is mm-hmm. is the role of of great brands and it's where they begin to occupy in the world and and then they have irrational followers to some extent, and now those irrational followers are what build the brand and we get to talk about them. It works in religion, works in government, and I'm telling you it works the same in like consumer brands or even enterprise brands. Like, okay, you don't get fired for buying IBM like because everyone knows what it is. So, so I'm hopeful for that. Um, it does feel like we're going to go through a, a bump in the road like we did with social media where there were negative externalities, but we, you know, but think about the time in which those things occurred it's now going to be like this like it's going to be it'll yeah. be in it'll be in months mm-hmm. like like that that drake and uh, the <laughs> weeknd song that came out
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean this for anyone who hasn't seen it is like fully ai created by a ghost by he actually calls himself ghostwriter on yeah. on tiktok where's a uh, wears a ghost sheet over his head <laughs> uh, it's i mean it should be sending shockwaves through the industry cuz i could just be like here's all my favorite music just make me stuff that sounds like these people yeah. right and it's not even rights matter because I could just be listening to it myself, right? Like, how is this all going to work? We don't know. It's just, how are we going to catch up as with, with copyright law, with, with, I mean, with legal precedent? I just, I, I don't know. And that well, is- Here's
3: here's where <laughs> I, like, legitimately why I'm still, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago about, uh, you know, how crypto, I think, is, is still, like, really good insurance and really useful, yeah. and then this thing comes out where it's like, cool, I'm Drake, or I'm the next Drake, and Drake's already in with UMG, and it might be hard to do this, but, like, Cool, here's, here's my voice. It's mm-hmm. an NFT. If you have this, then you can yeah. then you can mix it. Like, I do think there are some spots where proving ownership of a thing that also lets people do something with it can yeah. be really, really valuable.
2: We would go f- far off the rails there, but, like, that is what the, what the record label, like, rights management database should have in it, yeah. right? The problem is a human being, I, I, as Joe, I have no musical talent whatsoever, but I have grown up listening to Drake, and I've listened to Biggie, and I've listened to this, and now I come up with a song, like... How do you possibly parse out like everything that's happening? Like the the craziest part about AI and the way uh, uh, the the next predictive like word yeah. system works with the with the, the tokens, ironically, is that the they don't know how what comes out. it. Sometimes the researchers themselves are like, "Yeah, I'm not like like what did Kevin Roos say after the Sydney debacle?" He's like. When we went back to Microsoft to ask them, so without this whole Sydney telling me I should leave my wife thing, they're like, yeah, we're not really sure how yeah. it got there. And like that, like think that, but with like creative work, think that with like saying, Prove that I prove that I use these artists
0: to do it. And but it's... you're talking about choice and it brings me back to Renton. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, <laughs> choose, <laughs> choose a family, <laughs> choose a fucking big screen TV. And you mm-hmm. know it's crazy about train spotting? You're probably too young for that. I, a bit. I mean that was 1996, and it was all of this stuff. And you think about like Fight Club, it was all about yep. consumerism, it was all like those movies, you know. Okay, computer, you know, that album, you know what I mean? In 1997, and here we are in 2023, we're like grappling with all these things, and we actually haven't even figured them all out yet, so we talk about that whole idea of being optimistic and it's going to work itself out, or we, like, all the sci-fi and all those movies back then and, uh, and all those books, and everything like that. It was about, oh, man, if we don't figure this stuff out, it's going to choose for us, and that's right. really what we're talking about here a little bit, huh?
2: We are, and, and that, I think, is... It's both exciting here's what I do think is exciting so for all of the terrifying part that the business model of the internet is broken if advertising is flipped yeah. on its head Advertising as the p- dominant business model of the internet was a terrible thing in <laughs> a lot of ways. I mean, I'll just start with listicles, like like just like just adding impressions to add impressions that didn't do anything for, for the user. So that reset isn't bad. It's just what's the transition look like? And in the meantime, how do you build brands and what's it going to – What's the, I mean, think about where advertising got us to towards the end where there's nothing but affiliate marketing, like – Basically, drop shipping very cheap goods from China. And the highest margin is what got bought like because they were the best at marketing. Very rarely is the best at marketing also the best product. Like it's just just, the two things don't necessarily go hand in
0: hand. Interesting, though. um, So – Packy, you you are optimistic. You're, you kind of think that open AI is kind of in the driver's seat here a little bit as we think about just kind of the tech in general. And let's talk about like these large platform companies because I think, again, you know, I mentioned the Google thing and, and we saw Microsoft and, and Alphabet trading $50 a billion, $100 billion on like different headlines, whether it was Bard, it was Sydney, it was this or that or whatever. And it's interesting also to think that that Kevin Ruse stuff was like, he came on Fast Money. I, I mean, that feels like a year ago. Right that was, it doesn't, and, and, and to your point, Joe, is like, it probably worked out for the hype. For, I think you just made that point because none of us are particularly even worried about like, you know, that that uh, Sydney trying to like get us to kill our wives and marry her <laughs> or anything like that anymore. It's now we're just laughing yeah. about it.
3: Yeah. So I think on the open AI front, they're clearly in the lead. Now on the model side, plugin seems to be the most inventive mm-hmm. business model. It's hard to bet against the assets and the resources that a Google and a Microsoft have, like, that same set of resources that Google has with a different culture and team, I'd be like, yeah, no problem. They're just going to plug this stuff in, change the business model, Mm -hmm. do X, Y, and Z thing, and they have billions of users who come to their site every day still, and now they can just direct them to plugins or answers or whatever Mm -hmm. else. I think two things, it's been well-documented that the culture is a little bit stagnant at Google now, and it's hard to change, and they optimize for safety and Mm -hmm. all those types of things. And then, like, you do have to sympathize, and I, I don't know if this is... Innovator's dilemma, or not real? I'm like looking for what this thing is, but to have the best business model in the history of the world, and then decide in a couple of months, like, all right, that business model is out the window. We're gonna go to this other thing that gives us answers, and we don't have these blue links anymore. That's like a really hard thing to do. So the question is, like, can they get to something completely that fits this new paradigm? before OpenAI can get to their yeah. scale, I think is the question. So Joe, a
0: lot a lot of people have been really critical. I mean, to your point, Paki, is like all of a sudden they're being forced to actually rethink this model where they've gained tremendous amount of market share. No one's been able to touch them. If you think about where Bing is in search, it's like mid-single digits and it's not been growing ever. And so that goes back to that Google headline. Just think about, or this, the Samsung help, uh, headline, think about this. Android has like 80% global market share as far as like mobile operating system and, you know, um. Obviously, Google has just been embedded in all of that as far as search is concerned. And think about how much Apple actually pays Google to actually be like like on their phones, and they're like so like all of a sudden the ground's moving be below all of the feats of these major platform companies. I mean, do you see? Um, uh, an alphabet reacting in, in inappropriately in a very short period of time, which actually just kind of like seals their fate in, in some I, ways. I mean, it's way 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 over
2: my pay grade to decide whether <laughs> yeah, or not it, yeah. like they're they're reacting rash or or are making making mistakes. He,
0: like there's no. head right now, you know what I mean? But, like
2: yeah, and I, I look if, not, I, if not, I if I if I if people. I was a large if I if I was a large investor and institutional investor, I'd sit here and be wondering like okay, where's safe? Because like you know we we see the rest of the stock market doesn't look very safe. So like. There was there a was flight to safety. And the thesis is that, well, there's so much infrastructure, but there's so many engineers. Like, you need the tens of billions of dollars to be able to do it. Potential counterpoint to that is you could commoditize all of it, right? This goes back to what I was saying before. Like, it used to be that you needed, I mean, maybe server space is the thing, and which would be super ironic if if Web3 and crypto, like the call to build all the servers, built us all the server, server infrastructure we needed later to, to service all these AI models. But if the if the, like a lot of the things that are happening with these large language models are when you build the local instance of it, it doesn't take that much to run it, and you know four is better than three point five, but not so bad. I just I've met a couple of founders who are building on three point five, and why haven't you moved to four? They're like because we're just going to build on top of this. It's going to work fine for the narrow use case that we needed in. Well, they they could get the exact same thing from Google or OpenAI or 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 Amazon or Facebook, and if they become commoditized layers. That is the best possible outcome because then like AWS, they won't be able to overcharge for it and entrepreneurs will be able to build on top of it. Yeah. And then I still go back to doing like who's the people who are going to do the hard thing. With the platforms though, the the thing that isn't figured out is not just advertising, just search in general as a way of navigating the internet, right? Chrome in the browser, like you type stuff in and it's really going through search to get there. Like that inverting is not something that we're ready for because not just those companies you talked about, but every public company. Mm, I think right now, Facebook and Google, and let's add Amazon in, make up 60% of mobile advertising. That means all search, like all all links clicked, all performance advertising. That means that like what percentage of massive budgets from public companies are reliant on them to hit sales quarterly numbers. And so I don't like, that's the part that we're not ready for. I mean- I get excited with startups licking their chops at like, that all looks like opportunity, but like, I don't
0: know what that looks like yet. Yeah. Well, all right, listen, um, let, let's kind of uh, end this bit with, like, what What do you think, if you're listening to this pod, um, Packy, and let's say you're just kind of, uh, you're interested in private markets and you're worried about, like, kind of what the focus is going to be for the balance of 2023, you know what I mean? Like, is this something, is it going to be here? Are we going to be talking about this? Are we going to be doing another pod about this in three, six months or something like that? Or is it going to feel like it was just kind of a little bit of a ephemeral sort of thing? I'm just curious. And then then I'd love to get, you know, from a public market, maybe like have a little conversation here because this really is working its way into a lot of different narratives. NVIDIA's chips, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, the hyperscalers and and supply demand dynamics and who's going to have access to them. I'm just curious, like how you're thinking, is this something that you think we're going to be talking about six months from now, the the way we are right now?
3: I think it's hard to imagine that we're not talking about this in- Three to six months, and again, I'm the over-optimist on, on all of this stuff, but even people who are a lot more level-headed have now come out and are just saying, like, this is the thing. I mean, I think Nat Freeman, who is the the GitHub CEO uh, and is now kind of one of the leading early-stage investors in in AI, said recently something to the effect of, even if all the model development stopped right now, we have like a decade worth of figuring out how to build products on top of this to fully take advantage of, of what LLMs can do. And every week, there's like a new thing that people are getting. It was plugins, and then it's agents, and then next week there will be something else. And so it feels unlikely that in three to six months we're not going to be talking about this. That said, like, do I think that a lot of people are, a lot of investors in the early stages are going to lose a lot of money on AI companies? Like, hundred percent. Like, I, I think we're going to have that dynamic. But I think the underlying technology is is here to be talked about for Bruce. a very long time.
0: Yeah, so, so I mean, Joe, like you know, you've been kind of vocal about this here and there, and and people who know you, you know, like a lot of crypto Web three stuff, you thought was really kind of a solution in search of a problem. You don't feel that way right now no, about I, like like what's going on here. I
2: think that's sort of us pointing out the irony is if we built up all this infrastructure, but but I think that you know. When you talked about crypto, and I was always curious, but, like, it was always solving the biggest problems in the world, money. I mean, it was, yeah, like, government. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. like, new economic models. AI is solving some of the most boring shit you can imagine, <laughs> right? It's 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 solving workflows in organizations, which, by the way, could lead to our next round of, of layoffs, like jobless. This is why, you know, I point on the piece that, like, you know, we're we're in a Star Trek or Star Wars future coming yeah. here, right? Age of abundance or age of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And and start you know, the Star Trek is it's abundance. We all have everything we need, but people get excited and they find new things to work on. There's hidden demand um, or scarcity in that, well, I'm an employer and I just found a way to cut 10% of my workforce and keep my productivity at, a, you know, near 100%. Or maybe I cut 50% of my work. This isn't like, like – like everyone was afraid of this with self-driving trucks because truckers make up such a large portion of the workforce. However, like that is that is they can have no fail there. To your point about you could be wrong in AI and not be too bad, but you can't be wrong in a self-driving truck and and not be too bad because it you know it can hurt people. AI they could be like okay I'll get some of my you know clerical stuff wrong once in a while, but I'll have fifty percent less employees. Like that's a short, long-term abundance creation, short-term terrifying. And I don't think we've ever had technology that was gonna be short-term. Like, the biggest hope I have is hearing, you know, when people said the internet was gonna improve productivity so much, but then people found a way to waste half their day on the internet, (laughs) so it really fixed its own problem. I don't really see that here with this version of AI and companies, so that would be my that would be my one thing to look out for.
0: All right, stick around when we come back. We're going to talk a little bit about Elon Substack and um, maybe what might fix this. packy has got a post out on it, so let's uh, let's check it out. Let's talk about what happened with um, Elon. He had a little hissy fit about Substack. And, and what, what I think is really interesting about this is, like, I was never a Substack person. I subscribed to a bunch of Substacks. I've learned about most of them by people that I followed on Twitter, okay? Yep. So, Packy, you know, you built a following on Twitter, um, and then you started writing a Substack. It became very popular. I'm assuming that you would agree that a large part of the ability for people to find your writing was your presence on Twitter, um, and so talk to us a little bit about what happened. What do you think happened here? And, and again, it sounds like Substack was gonna introduce a product called Notes, which they since have, yeah. and and Elon thought this was a competitor towards, um, or a knockoff, I guess, on Twitter or something like that. So how did you find out that your nearly 200,000 not boring um, Substack subscription was not gonna be able to be shared on Twitter? What did you do about it, how did you feel about it, and where are you right now on it?
3: Yeah, so I, I guess, even to correct me, so I kind of started writing before I really had any Twitter followers, Mm -hmm. and the two really grew in tandem. I viewed Twitter as a place that, like, maybe sometimes it would go viral, but could also be the place where the community lived. I didn't wanna have a private, not boring community. I wanted the conversation to be out in the public and people to share, and it felt, really vibrant. I mean, like, the most popular piece that I've written probably is this post called The Great Online Game, and it was, like, in praise of what you can do on
0: Twitter. And and you actually said Elon was winning the online
3: game. I I thought he was, and I think, like, my other weird point on Elon, I think if you, like, look back from a thousand years, he's just been really good at, like, accidentally or not, uncovering all of these, like, weird truths that For example, that people can be both good and bad and good and bad at different things. Mm -hmm. Like this morning, they almost launched Starship, the biggest rocket in the history of the world. At the same time, Twitter is turning into an absolute dumpster fire. And I'm like a huge (laughs) fan of what they're doing at SpaceX. And I'm not a fan at all of what's going on at Twitter. And I was. I mean, we were talking before uh, on this podcast about the fact that I was optimistic about what Elon could do with Twitter. And I I think I was – wrong with that, I'm wrong about that
0: so far. I mean, listen, you know, it's funny. We were talking about it, I think it was last April and we talked about it again in the fall. And I, I guess, you, you know, for someone like you who used it so well, you know what I mean? Like, meaning like building a community and being able to kind of gain thought leadership and then taking feedback and then looking and just seeing all the things, all the people that we've all collectively met on that mm-hmm. platform. Yeah. But it does seem like a dumpster fire right <laughs> I've, I've, I've been kicked off. Like, you know what I mean? Like for an April Fool's joke, I was on it for 11 or 12 years, I built a hundred plus thousand followers. You know, I used it during live television programs to engage with people. I've met tons of people. Hopefully people felt my contribution was worthwhile. I do an April fool's joke and I'm gone. And you know what? I'm out, man. Like I don't really care anymore. Totally. Like, you know, so curious, like, so, so Substack, they see it as competitive. Um, you can't post on it. And what do you do so at all? So the,
3: the, the way that we found out about it actually was normally, one of the beautiful features of, of Substack and the integration with Twitter is that when I want to put a tweet in my Substack, I just post a link, yeah. it embeds, it's magical, it just yeah. happens. And we started doing that and getting pop-ups, like the link would just disappear and get a pop-up from Substack that there was some sort of issue and they yeah. were working on it. This was the same time that they announced notes, which does look and feel a lot like Twitter, except yeah. it's Substack writers who are who are able to post. And I've been using it a lot and it's it's great. But then you go to Substack or you go to Twitter and, and people who have substacks with substack in the name of their publication or in the link to their publication, mm-hmm. so if it were not boring.substack.com, those links just – you can't like a tweet with those in yeah. them for a couple of days. Notboring.co worked. They didn't get sophisticated enough to see that I was on top of substack as long as I was pointing to a different domain. But a lot of writers were talking about the fact that they just couldn't get any engagement on the tweets, that they included anything – first it was substack links. Then it was the mention of the word substack or the at – Substack mm-hmm. Inc. handle, no engagement on those streets. Uh so for me personally, it didn't have any real effect. Yeah, but
0: hadn't you been noticing listen, I've noticed yes. this engagement. So that's what I was gonna say. Absolutely throttled over the last six to nine months. I mean, like literally like matter of fact here, and, and
3: it's it become less important. That's for- that's exactly what I was gonna say next. So, like it didn't have any direct impact there, but it's just an, uh, the latest. And this was actually kind of pre-Elon, I think. Like yeah. anytime you put a link before, yeah. it's still like they want you to stay on Twitter and the algos are are kind of, uh, I guess, favor, favor that kind of behavior where mm-hmm. you're posting a thread on Twitter versus sending some someone to a link elsewhere. But it really has just become – like I look – Twitter is really good for the – ego and like, I'd love to see a tweet go viral, but then I see a tweet go viral and I look at the traffic sources on my sub stack and it's like 96% email, 3% direct in Google, less than 1% Twitter. Even if it goes viral, it's just like, I guess at the scale of the newsletter, not a particularly huge source of traffic. It just feels good. You want to be able to have the conversation. You want people who might enjoy the content, but not yeah. subscribe to your newsletter to be able
0: to follow the that thing. was the product. Like totally. that was it, right? Yeah. And now it's not Joe. So yeah. talk to me, like, and you know, I have a story up here from Bloomberg right now about, I didn't even know this happened, but Elon Musk's Twitter payment plan puts NYC subway alerts at risk. So like literally they, if they don't pay, Two hundred and fifty grand for their Mm -hmm. gold check and this and that whatever and a lot of businesses are just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I don't believe that all the content that we've been creating on there that we're the reason why people are actually signing up right to kind of engage with you whether they like your TV show or your newsletter, your podcast, or or, whatever you have to say. Like so, to me, I just feel like like literally this is kind of the tip of the thing, and and I really feel like a lot of these businesses are going to be off of it very soon.
2: Yeah, like like I I will. Here's here's what I'll do. Like I, I agree with all of this in principle, but for devil's advocate purposes, here's the the benefit of the doubt thing that I think was the trap in getting, when when Elon bought Twitter and what we're all discovering now, but it's true 100% of the time. Media has more value in the world than it can be monetized at. Mm -hmm. Like, I could imagine sitting around one day and be like, Twitter's worth more than $44 billion. Nations rise and fall on it. Governments are decided. Like, like the New York City Transit Authority Mm -hmm. communicates with its riders using Twitter. But you can't monetize it, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, hey, the New York City Transit Authority is a multi-multi-billion dollar, like maybe one of the most complicated uh, um, transportation networks in the world, more riders per day than any – I mean up 20 – Well, Jack
0: thought it should be a protocol though. I mean that was one of the reasons and that business was being run into the ground by him before Elon bought it.
2: Sure, but this this is my point. Like this is the point, which is it is the, a more influential platform, just like radio or television or all. The, but like they're not monetized at the rate at which like they're valued like in society. Like mm-hmm. like things that create culture are very hard to price. Things that like shape governments is very hard to price. And so, you know, if you're Elon, you're sitting on that going, hey, I don't, you know, famously, he doesn't actually spend money on marketing. He launches rockets into space, like pumps Dogecoin, and now he owns Twitter. So he doesn't need to spend money on marketing. Now the new argument will be he spent $44 billion on marketing. So it's right up there with Ford and GM. So I get that. The other one is, like, you know, it was very funny when people, when everyone with the blue check marks were getting very upset that their blue check marks were being meshed with people who paid for a blue check mark. So I don't really use Mm -hmm. Twitter. Like, I don't create original content. Mm -hmm. I kind of made this rule long time ago with facebook it was actually back still in the days of facebook i was like i just don't like creating original content for for platforms although i've started to use linkedin a little more mm-hmm. but i do retweet heather who's my partner at human <laughs> ventures i retweet all of our founders of our uh, portfolio because i had 10000 followers from my years of writing mm-hmm. in the ad industry mm-hmm. But I got very little engagement, and so when it was like, "Oh, eight dollars a month to, to sign," I was like, "I don't care." Like, like, like
0: if it helps any of my you know companies key, with yeah, one person, it's like yeah, low, yeah. it's yeah. like yeah. mid huh. single digits. People have paid like yeah, yeah. as of whatever that yeah. was, and that. So he's got April twenty, haha, is going to yeah. be when they're kicking everybody off. I don't get a twenty. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in the 69th minute of yeah. the, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. So like, listen, th- this is what's he just marked the company down to twenty billion dollars okay we know that their like ad revenue was down like I don't know like 40 some percent in in, I think on average in Q4 or something like that advertisers don't want to be there a lot of power users don't want to be there the situation with Matt Taibbi which was the guy who was putting all of this like I think was misinformation these Twitter files you know out there and he's off of it now because his livelihood was being made on Substack after doing all this dirty work for Elon and everything like that so he's off of Twitter and I got to tell you, do we know anybody at like Yahoo or something like that? Because <laughs> if the people at Yahoo are not working around the clock, given all of the traffic that they have and all the command that they have with advertisers and oh. everything like that, you know what I mean? Like, or, or Facebook or Google plus or something like that. I mean, it just no seems way. If, like.
2: If, if, sorry. If, if Yahoo doesn't immediately take Alta Vista, cause I wanted a t-shirt that says Alta Vista should have won. Cause yes. that was my favorite search but engine. I, like, <laughs> but Let's what, go. But,
0: it, but it's not just about search. It's about yeah. the, the combination of search, it's about Advertising about yeah. safe spaces, about like uh, about social, you know what I mean? Because listen, Substack is a, is is small totally. in, in the in the in the grand scheme of things. So notes could be hugely successful among the people who subscribe to like the the five hundred Substacks that matter. I mean, like literally, yeah. that's that like that's it. You know what I mean? Like so, it's got to be a large platform company that has this sort of user base and traffic and all that stuff um, to really make it happen. You know what I mean? And so um, something, an alternative has to rise.
3: That's one possibility. Ben Thompson wrote about this at least a year ago and then kind of rewrote about it recently that the future of social is kind of small and a lot of his activity is going into group chats and different places. And he wasn't super bullish on the way that uh, Substack Notes launched because it maybe wasn't differentiated enough. But I do think there's a a version of the world in which Twitter dies a death by a thousand paper cuts. I'm Mm -hmm. on Warpcast for crypto conversations. I'm on notes. I'm in group chats. I'm in all of these different places, and it's not particularly convenient. I think mm-hmm. probably at some point, maybe someone just builds a layer mm-hmm. on top that aggregates all those. Text.com mm-hmm. maybe is is a, a potential kind of company that could do something like that. But I am finding that I, the communities that I'm in are moving off to maybe more specific platforms, and there's not gonna be any huge crash of Twitter or something where everybody just quits or the, the service stops working. But I'm spending a lot less of my time there now. I deleted the mobile app, although sometimes- I did too. I, I, I know Tim Urban said that like mm. he did the same thing and then just used the mobile browser version a lot. Yeah. And I've done the same thing for sure. Like if I write a piece but and I do it- But you
0: you're more productive, actually? I'm way, things, more pro- yeah. I'm
3: way more productive. I'm happier not yeah, checking it. Like, yeah, yeah. there, there's rarely a time where I go on Twitter and I'm like- <laughs> I feel so much better right now. Like the best thing that you know, like yeah. the the most likely outcome is I go on there and some like random person with six followers who I've never met before said something awful about so, uh, so about I'll, me. And I, I just want to make I,
0: one really important point here. So I actually agree. I think some of these verticals, and this is something, Joe, you and I've been talking about for years now. Okay, so like think about this. I go on in the morning, and there's people like Carl Quintanilla from CNBC. He is power tweeting every important piece of research, every important piece yeah, of yeah, market yeah. news, and he's yeah. doing it. It is this beautifully yeah. curated RSS feed. If you have have Mm -hmm. the right people. But then you have everything else. And then you have every other tweet of stupid meme that Elon puts out or this and whatever dominating. It was the same way under Trump. And that was the thing that Mm -hmm. made me believe that it cannot be sustainable like this or whatever. So then you go back to uh, what I just said about Yahoo. Yahoo Finance, Yahoo Sports, Yahoo News, Yahoo Entertainment. These are things that people go to. They all have hundreds of millions of people in traffic. And that's what the notes should be about your ability to create communities within them and share the sorts of nodes, and that's why it's got it to, to me. It's got to be a big platform company that, that it, kind of supplants them.
2: It's hilarious that like the the I, so actually, as you were talking, it gave me an idea for for a new startup in the AI Let's space do it. That, right. that I'm actually <laughs> Turn very, the mics off here, I'm very, excited Let's about. Start. I will share as soon as the mic's because I, I really I'm going to have someone hack around on this at, at Human, but. But the idea that everything that's old is new again, you know, Yahoo was a homepage curated by people of, of websites that you yeah. should, that here's where you should go, because you can trust it. So like, like, could search become a thing that is like, okay, we, we will have filters. You know, when search first started, there was a huge argument that the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and everyone shouldn't have their stuff indexed by search, mm-hmm. because like right. they were getting it for free, and then that became the new front door, yep. instead of you going to the brands you trust in this new world, it's like, I don't know that I want to ask questions to something that's faceless. That I don't know where it's pulling from anymore. All right. So will editorial become an important layer? And will that be the thing that is differentiated and be like, okay, I'll go in the front door here. Right. It's our new, it's our, um, uh, Shatner, you know, yeah. low price guarantee price line negotiator, except for like truly trusted people or brands that say they'll curate this for you. I mean, huge fan of like the skim, right. Which has been a newsletter mm-hmm. that is curating in the morning, but really, what they're, People are saying by reading the skim is, I trust you that you're going to curate down to what I need to know today because I can't read everything yeah. right so what about that for everything like like can AI do something interesting so that editors can be you know
0: they talk about 10x engineers I mean I think they're trying to do that um, you know and there's a bunch of chat things I think to your point about Ben Thompson I was listening to him last week um, they're using wavelength for for chat yeah. among community building you know you and I just um, met a guy uh, Mike Sue, who's working mm-hmm. on something mm-hmm. really cool too yeah um, you, know what I mean? oh, you like that good you, you showed it to me. i know i, know, and I, I know. talked to him last week i haven't I talked to you since i actually i'm going to introduce you to him so uh, <laughs> no, there we go <laughs> no I think, I think there's Deals a lot happening. of really smart people who see a lot of what we see but mm-hmm. they're still on twitter you know what i mean mm-hmm. And i'm not trying to encourage anybody to leave it i'm just not there it's not yeah. something for I, me anymore
2: i, I do know? encourage people who like i, I I've st- i'm one i'm still there for our portfolio companies and for our business but i'm also i do encourage people to spend a little more time i know it has a spam problem and i know it has a a hype problem, but LinkedIn is probably yeah, the most valuable. That. Like for us, when you when you were listing your traffic sources, I would have thought like LinkedIn would have been in that between the two and three percent from Twitter and and Facebook. I don't use it,
3: but I'm, I've yeah. heard good things from people who've grown their newsletters really fast about using LinkedIn. because
2: they have profiles. Like like if you, it's the hilarious part. I don't know if this is like funny haha or funny he he, but like the idea that LinkedIn is the last place with profiles, right? Like oh, Instagram, Instagram ha-ha and Snapchat, or- and, <laughs> but like it's the last thing that has profiles where I can go see what is packy doing these days. Oh, these are this is what he does. It's, it's it's a it's an insane that this is where we've ended up. i said Facebook and Friendster for, and MySpace and
3: forever that that tw- the Twitter profile and your like Twitter homepage is the least like the the area on the internet that should be developed just. So much more than it is easy,
2: right? <laughs>
3: so easy, and yeah. and they just blew
0: that. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're all in agreement. We're off Twitter. Elon's <laughs> a Um, You know, hopefully he'll get that spaceship up sooner okay. or later. And I it's probably the gonna
3: first thing later. I'm going to check after we get up. You know, like. Yeah. It, it, not me. I, I'm yeah. also also still slightly addicted, but less I'll, addicted. Promote,
0: I'll promote
2: this podcast on there for you. I'm
0: gonna it yeah. out on five. Amanda. Will do it mm-hmm. for me. All right, listen, Packy McCormick, not boring. Joe Marchese Human Ventures. Thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Let's do it again soon. Done. Thanks for having us. Cheers.